Gracious God and Father, we thank you first for the fact that you're God. You sit in unapproachable light. You floss glory that can light up all the universe. And yet you sent the Son who's exactly like you, equal. All the things true of you are true of him. And he wrapped himself in flesh and messed with us. Father, we thank you for the offering, the ability to give, the ability to participate in worshiping you with our loot. Thank you in a crumbling economy that there's something to give. We pray you will increase it. We pray that you'll increase it, but not without increasing our commitment to utilize it properly. Take our hands off of anything that we're using improperly. And God, sustain us in this time where it's difficult to say no to ungodliness and yes to upright living. We need that, God. We need power from on high to remain faithful to the end. Bless the word of God right now. We think about people who are going through unique circumstances, such as our, our family, the Livingstons. And you know about the shooting that took place that impacts their family. And we pray for them right now. And we thank you that the brother is in stable condition now as a result. God, we think about those who need you to intervene mightily because of circumstances that have to do with the law. We pray that you would again show yourself mighty and merciful by allowing a lenient punishment since rehabilitation has already been taking place by your grace and spirit. We pray uniquely for those who need employment, who need a home, who want to be on mission with you but need some logistics worked out first. We pray that you would work those things out so that they will be free to run hard with you on mission. Be with me, God, even now. Bring our Pastor E back to us that we may be able to continue to move forward under banging leadership. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. My, my, my plan is today to be real... Um, brief and not so technical. I have a message that has often been used in a, ver uh, a variety of contexts, but I thought it was perfect in light of something I want to reinforce from our core values today. Um, we have a core set of core values, things that we want to mark us, things that we hold dear, not just as values, but core, take it away, and it really isn't us anymore. And one of those things is something called being missional. To be missional is to use the concept of what missionaries do as an adjective to describe every single person in here. To be missional is to believe that God is a sending God and he sends individuals as well as the corporate body that those individuals are part of. And he sends them to imitate him who's always on mission. And the Bible makes clear that God has been on mission since the day that man fell. Since the day that man fell, God has been setting in motion a way to heal what has been broken. And so that's what he's been doing. We don't get excited about Abraham or Abram being chosen out of the peoples of the earth because, Abraham, because of Abram. We get excited because God began to show us his blueprint for how he was going to do mission. He was going to select somebody by his grace, just pick them out based on his own wisdom, his own understanding. He was going to grab them. He was going to do unique things for them. He was going to empower them. He was going to allow them to advance the runner. Somebody would take over from there. Somebody else would advance the runner. All the way down to Jesus Christ where it culminates. Jesus Christ then even said, but you know, I'm still passing the baton too, even though I'm the culmination of this thing. 
part and parcel of what I'm here to do is to be the, the, the capstone or the chief cornerstone of a new people who would, as a corporate body, do what I did as an individual. And so one of the things that we want to do today is look at a classic Old Testament passage. We're usually always in the New Testament, just so happens to sort of uh, be the way we've done it. And one of the things that we don't do is get a lot of exposure to the Old Testament. So today, turn to Judges. Turn to Judges. And one of the things I want to do is, again, I want to leverage a story for its ability to help us to gain confidence in the face of the call for mission. And again, I, I, I want to take the scenic route because, one, you may not be familiar with the story. We got a lot of people who, like, a lot of young people, a lot of people who don't, I don't know if you know the scriptures or not, so we'll go through the story. Um, but one of the things that we want to do is see how this speaks to this idea of us being on mission. We just got our building. And the question on the floor is now that we got the building, what? It's supposed to feel like a beginning of something new. We just got our building and it's like, oh, we get ready to just like it, like look forward every week to a new song, um, look forward every week to a nice uh, like peppy message. Or did we realize that we were waiting on the building because we wanted a sense of permanence that would be connected to our sense that we're called on mission with God. Church, most people have learned church incorrectly. I don't know where you come from, but church has become primarily a place where we go. But that is not the case in the Bible. A church was a people that I was called to gather with, that I also was sent with. Now, some of you still use church primarily as a stopping ground that you do once a week. Life is rigged in such a way that it's impossible to really do life with your church. You come because you like something about it. You come because your religious appetite gets met at least for that two-hour slice. And so you come, you drop in. I noticed that there are people uh, from every, you know, uh, from a variety of ethnicities. Like you, you may not be able to see yourself throughout the week with this contingent, but at least on Sunday, I don't mind sitting in the same room with you. Uh, you may live somewhere so far off, it's not practical for you to get together during the week. But in the Bible, the idea is that some group is your regular community that you say we've been called to be around each other so much we're able to be accountable to one another and we can sit and brainstorm some way to participate in the mission of God together. Now, in a day where, again, we segment our lives, it's easy to just, well, I go to church because you go to church. I hang with my friends because I like them. And I go visit my family on important days because, after all, that's what families are for. Well, the Bible uses all those same metaphors. We're looked at as friends of one another. The church is looked at as brothers and sisters in Christ. We're family of one another. We're also the people that we worship together. So the Bible wants you to see that some people on this earth... You're supposed to rally with. And when you rally with them, you so rich, rig your lives to be together that you can fulfill what we call a missional purpose. That is the mission of God. Now, how that applies is because today we, we want to continue to call you to mission. Epiphany Fellowship did not get, we didn't, we didn't come into existence because we just were tired of some other church. We didn't come into existence just because we wanted to do our own thing. We came into existence because missionality among the church was becoming rare. We came into existence because we had a chance to do what some people do when your hair is messed up. Man, split ends, and so you cut it all the way down to where the hair is not troublesome. Some people have to go all the way down to the scalp just to retrain their hair because they had a bad perm or something. Well, same way. We are scaled down to nothing. We're just nine people who believe the scriptures. We got together. We began to grow. Okay, now that we're growing, the idea is for us to grow in such a way that we don't go left again and just become religious just uh, spectators, but that we grow consistent with what the whole goal of why God started a people so that he could use them as his instruments of mission. I'm going to drive this point home because the question on the floor is why do we get together and what do we expect to happen as a result of our getting together? It's not high fives and only. It's not where are you going after this only. It's not you do dominoes and do you play spades only. These things are just byproducts of us being humans. We are humans so when we 
get together, we'll play spades, we'll do dominoes. But it's always good when that's a reprieve from the fact we're doing mission together. Many people at Epiphany are doing mission together. And that's why we want to continue to encourage, especially people on the fringes in your Christianity. People, who, again, who are just breezing through because you heard it's jumping on Sunday or whatever you heard. That God is calling you in. Now, it may or may not be at epiphany, but buy into the theology of the scriptures that says God is sending a people who live in community with each other into a scenario where they can fulfill mission. I'm going to show you that uh, in the scriptures. The book of Judges, I'm going to first start with chapter 2. And I just want to show you something because the book of Judges is a book... That is clearly written to help open your eyes to the dangers of a community that's off track. The Bible makes it clear, verse chapter 2, verse 6. It says, when Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went to each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in the Timnath Harris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers and their arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Now, this little pericope, they call it, this little place, verse 6 to 10, is basically uh, letting you know what this whole book is about. It's believed that this is really where the book of Joshua started, but to connect this book to the era, excuse me, Judges started, but to connect it, people have added a little preface. One all the way to two five is more like a preface that got added after the book was written. Well, one of the things I want to show you is there's always going to come a time where rich spiritual heritage is preceded by a spiritual decline. It just seems to happen. It says they serve God all the years of Joshua. Joshua things seem to uh, seem to be jumping spiritually and everybody was on point it says but then that generation moved on so spirit, rich spiritual heritage is uh, always seems to be on the scene and then afterwards it says and then there came a generation that began to sleep on the faith of their fathers there came a generation that did not know God doesn't that seem to be the cycle we always can look in the past and say things were better back then but we find ourselves a part of a generation that seems to be ignorant of the same God and not know him nor be blown away at his works I often find myself looking around doing praise and worship, looking around at people, like just trying to gauge, like, why are you here? Sometimes I ask and different expressions. I don't you know. I know we can't judge. So I don't I don't try to judge where you are. But it interests me that some people seem to look oblivious to the God we're singing about or seem to be like, I don't know why they're here. And the same thing happens outside of church. Some people seem to not be connected to what God has been doing throughout history. Well, that's exactly what was here. It says a generation didn't know God, nor the stuff he had done. You could take a survey. Do you know what God's been doing for Israel? And a generation would have said no, even though they were the new Israel. Well, the same thing today. Mom, tell me about God because I'm clueless. That's what you would hear. Well, followed by that, we see here is... Not only did a generation not know God, the next verse in chapter 11 says, and the people of Israel did what was evil. Anytime you don't know God, the next thing that's going to follow is a, not, I said, a spiritual decline characterized by evil. And so that's one of the things that we find. Judges is set up to let you know this is the spiritual climate that all these stories in the book of Judges are going to have to face. This is the context that all these judges are going to be called into. Spiritual heritage that was followed by spiritual decline that was marked by spiritual unfaithfulness. That is just the way that it is. Well, we keep looking. It says here, and they abandoned the Lord 
and serve the Baals. There's always something that people are caught up in that's the primary thing that's causing people to stumble. Here it's Baal. Maybe in America it would be wealth or money because everything seems to revolve around money and Jesus called that the other master. He said you can't serve two masters. You'll either love God or hate the other. You'll love one or hate the other. He said you can't serve God and mammon and made that like his competitor. Well, that's how it is today. If you look at hip-hop, if you look at R&B, if you look at corporations, if you look at our oil crisis, if you look at the war, no matter where you look, it seems like the real issue is we're unfaithful to God primarily because of something that has to do with material wealth. Well, in this context, it was Baal. Baal was a competing God that Israel just seemed to not be able to kick. And it says here, they abandoned the Lord, served Baal, says they went after other gods. So it was Baal, but it was a whole bunch of others. Baal was the primary one. And it says they abandoned him and served Baals in the Ashtaroth, verse 13. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against them. He gave them over to plunderers who plundered them, sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them, they were in terrible distress. So not only do you get a spiritual decline, but you get a social decline. It just follows. Spiritually, when things are a wreck, socially things will be a wreck. So it's in that context that the judges begin to give you a series of stories about how God intended to flesh his mission out in light of that. So now flip over to our story for the day, which is chapter 6. Chapter 6, classic one, Gideon. Today we're going to talk about the mission possible. The mission is possible. The mission is possible. If you call the mission, the question is, is it possible? Chapter 6 starts much like chapter 2 does for the whole book. Setting your context. Same thing, but look at the details. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Where did we see that before? And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian in particular. Where did we see that before? Seven years. The hand of Midian overpowered Israel. Because, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. And whenever the Israelites planted crops... The Midianites and Amalekites and people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land. Bad economy. And as far as Gaza, leave no sustenance in Israel, no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, and they would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted, so that they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. This is the context. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. Now, I like this because the first thing we need to see that you're called on mission, but it is possible. But I believe that we have to have a renewed sense of context context you can't be on mission with God and be oblivious to your surroundings and what the conditions are because God is not calling us to have fun not smashing having fun but God is always calling us to address a deteriorating situation you must be I believe we need a renewed sense that that's my calling if things have been too easy going, if life is just family and friends, again, and fun, if life is just a strategic maneuver to avoid the bad stuff that everybody else has fallen victim to, then you can't be in mission. The Lord Jesus left heaven where he was just catching adoration and came down in the midst of a place where by two he was on the run. He left heaven and came down and Herod was ready to kill him. I don't think he wasn't oblivious to that. He left earth and I mean heaven and came to earth where he spent his life on the low. The king of kings lived his life like a pauper almost. The, by 30 he's doing ministry and the religious leadership can't stand him. That's because the mission of God already assumes that you're being called into a context that's deteriorating. And so Epiphany Fellowship plopped right in the middle of 17th and Diamond. Like we may be frustrated with the conditions, but that's actually perfect for the person who says, but isn't God's people called to do something about deteriorating circumstances? 
We're Americans. We're not taught to embrace that. I want my kid to go to a good school, so I moved to. I want to have this kind of money, so I moved to. I want to, like, that's one way to navigate through life. The other way is to buy into mission and say, now what does the mission call for? It usually calls for me to team up with a community and identify a deteriorating circumstance or arena for me to go plop myself into and trust that God is going to use us to do something about it. Well, that's the way Gideon starts. It just gives you the story. Things were horrible. Now keep going. Skip over to verse 11. A renewed sense of the context. It's followed by a renewed sense of calling. It says here, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you. Almighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all the wondrous deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Stop. A renewed sense of context would say that you sit around the dinner table and you start saying, So, have you, like, how have we thought about where God wants us to serve? When you think about in reference to epiphany, how have we committed ourselves to a certain context? What did they, what did they say? What were the pastors saying? Well, they said we're committed to urban context. Oh, okay, bet. Maybe I need to start thinking about what it means for me to live in an urban context. I'm not really from the urban context, but I believe God has called me to team up with them for the urban context. So now I got to think about how I can get schooled on the urban context. That's when you know you have a renewed sense of context being critical to you being on mission with God. It's a bad scenario, I know, so I better think. Maybe homeschooling, maybe cyber schooling, maybe charter schooling, because it, uh, education is bad, but I got to serve the urban context, so I better think about how I'm going to deal with bad educational situations. Okay, bad economy, you know how people, it's unsafe, I know, I better get a little more street sense, I better look both ways, I got to carry me a can of mace or something, I better go take some self-defense classes because it's an unsafe environment there. I better to learn how to take back streets and uh, like all of these things happen because you understand context a bad context is not permission for Christians to hit the road okay now a new sense of calling first of all calling is by divine initiation the thing that's going to help you get through all of that I just said is to know that God is uh, your calling is an act of God's divine initiation. If you just decide to do something, you'll wonder, did I make a bad decision? But if you have a deep sense that God pulled you off the bench and asked you to come in, that will help you through circumstances that you can't control. When you have a deep sense that God initiated this, you feel like saying, now God, I was chilling without you. Like, I didn't, I didn't even like, I didn't even like Philly. Give you an example. I didn't like New York. I didn't like Florida. I didn't like wherever you are, you're called to. I didn't even like them. I didn't like skaters. I didn't like hip hoppers. I was chilling, but I got this sense that you said, leave what you're doing and come. Now, if you've never experienced this, you're looking at me like, How's that going to happen? I don't know how God's going to convince you that he's drawing you into a specific context. But if you don't have it, it explains why we're casual with serving in the midst of a bad context. But for those who are convinced, God initiated it. If I came up with it, I've got to sustain it and make it work. If God initiates it, then he must plan to make it work. It says here, now the angel of the Lord came. It didn't say that Gideon was seeking God. It says the angel of the Lord came seeking him. That is critical because that is what calling is. It's when God comes and initiates, move and invites you into what he's doing. Not just divine initiation, but 
a divine interruption. Calling is often an interruption. It says he came while he was threshing wheat. So what that means is he's doing one thing and then God intrudes on his program. What calling is going to be is you doing whatever you're doing and then God's going to step in on what you're doing and call you away from it. What this will mean is that your life will look different after you get this sense of calling. Whether it's a geographical change, whether it's a friendship change, whether it's girlfriend, boyfriend change, whether it's job change. In other words, you're just doing your thing and God steps in and says, excuse me. This is a motif that happens all through scripture. Moses is just in the wilderness. He's just doing what shepherds do and God steps into his life. Elisha is just plowing fields and God steps into his life. Saul is on his, Paul is on his way to persecute the church and God steps into his life. Deuce was on his way to trying to drug deal and then I was, I started going to, um, um, I wanted to be a medical assistant. I was just trying to do anything that didn't seem hard. I tried to go into a school for medical assistant because I thought it was going to be a lot of girls in there at the time. And it was. Uh, and then I ended up defaulting on that loan. That's a whole other story. But it just going to show you I had no business doing it. But I can remember just doing my thing and God stepped in. I was in talent shows and talent contests trying to rap and be a rapper. And God intruded. One day I get a call that says, come on, you're going to Philly. PCB, Philadelphia College of Bible at that time. God interrupts. If you don't feel like your life has gotten interrupted by God's divine initiation, no wonder you're not on mission. But if God can rock you with the idea that he steps in, initiates contact with you, pulls you in his direction... We're going to look at it because where he's sending you is a bad context often. When I say bad, it just means it's got spiritual issues. It's got social issues. But calling is what helps you make it through the fact that God has interrupted your life. It was fine. I was chilling, Lord. Why did you do this to me? I was on track. Then you came. But that's what calling often is. And we're calling you to mission as a church. We're calling you to that which is crumbling. That which has got issues. Gideon was just beating out wine. Beating out, excuse me, wheat, threshing wheat in a wine press. And God comes in. Not only in interruption but calling is based on divine intent look at this he he comes to a dude who's hiding who's beating out wheat in a wine press to hide it from the midianites and then he says the lord is with you O man of valor now the funny thing is this word el gabor is often called translated warrior or great man well gideon is going to say i'm not that great we're going to get to that And Gideon doesn't look like a warrior. So the calling is not based on what it looks like right now. It's based on God's intention. And this is the reason why you can get rocked. Because if God interrupts and initiates and chooses you or calls you based on his intention, whatever you're not, you one day will be. That's beautiful. When God, Jesus looked at his disciples, he said, come, I'll make you fishers of men. And they weren't. Till Acts. But in Acts, all of a sudden, they throw the net out and the nets are breaking. God says, I'm looking at you. And what you're going to be. Oh, I remember when he interrupted me and came. Once again, I, I'm the perfect case study of a dude who was doing his own thing. I used to want to be a lawyer. Now I'm building my case for Christ. <laughs> I used to want to be an actor, and now I act the fool up here. <laughs> Literally, I used to want to be these things. And God let me use it through the... And then I wanted to be a rapper, and God allowed me to rap for Jesus Christ in such a way that I could change my social and spiritual surroundings. Divine call. We need a renewed sense of call. If you've never felt called... Now, some of you remember when you were called. It's just that as time goes on, we need recalibration. 
We need God to just tighten us up a little bit and remind us, you didn't do this. Like, don't think all of a sudden you could just decide once you're called. I just think I'm, I'm tired of that. I'm just going to do something different. You'll find like Jonah that he'll come and get you. So it's based on divine initiation. It usually is a divine interruption while you're doing something else. God comes in and hips you to what he's got planned. And it's based on divine intention, not on the present circumstance. Divine call. I believe we need a renewed sense of call because that is going to help you through, first of all, frustrations. He says, I'm with you, right? God's with you. Now, this sort of seems sarcastic. Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers used to say? He didn't even say, where are all the wonderful deeds he used to do for me? He like, and where are all? Well, if God's with me, look around. First of all, I'm beating wheat in a wine press, which you don't do. Second of all, what's all, where are all the stories grandma used to talk about? Frustrated. And I believe that this frustration is what God needs to fuel us to participate in solution. Psalm 73, Asaph says, I was frustrated. There's a wrong frustration, right? I was frustrated when I saw the wicked killing it. Says, but then I went to the sanctuary and I got a new perspective. I saw their end. See, that's a frustration that needed a change of mind. But Paul, in Acts 17, he was frustrated and it made him start reasoning in the synagogues. That's a good frustration. We talk about being grieved by a gap between what God wants and what is your current reality. I believe that we need to be refrustrated again. That some of us who are losing that sense of a call need to be reminded of the frustrations of if things keep going like they're going. If, if nobody is used of God to change things. Remember the frustration. So when somebody says, isn't God good? You're sucking your teeth because I don't sense the goodness of God in times like these. Well, good. Do something about it. Not only the frustrations, but... Fears. Fears. He says, look at verse 14. And the Lord turned to him, right? And said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least of my father's household. The fears of inadequacy. You need calling to help you deal with your fears. And not only your fears, but your frailties. What God is going to do is call us to radical moves of faith. We don't even talk like this anymore. When we needed the building radical moves of faith, we were, we were praying a lot. And I believe we need a renewed sense of call that says God is going to address your frustrations and use that to fuel you for participation. God is going to address our fears. Fears of the block. Fears of the times. Fears of financial situation. Whatever the fears are. But also our frailties. How many people saying, no, I want to do it. You don't know. I'm just the least. I'm just too small to do it. That's why it's called Mission Possible. Because the story of Gideon is used and has been used to prove that God does big things with little people. God is looking at us in here today as epiphany. And he's saying, remember, I called you and I called you out of frustration. I called you in spite of your fears and I've called you in spite of your frailties. We need a renewed sense of context. What he's going to call us to may not be pretty. We need a renewed sense of call. The fact that he initiates so you don't have to make it work. The fact that he interrupted you so something needs to change. The fact that it's based on his intention. He's going to complete it. But then he says here, a divine sense. I believe we need a renewed sense of his commissioning. That's why he said, cut through all of the smoke screen. I'm scared. I'm weak. I'm not. I can't. But you don't understand. He cuts through all of that. He doesn't say, well, tell me why. Look what he says here. Go. 
go in this might of yours and save. Do I not send you? That's that. Not only are you called, but you're sent. That's the missional piece we're talking about. The sense that I'm called to go. I'm called to be on the move. I'm called to get involved. I'm called not to meaningless routines that Americans do because after all, when you're free, you sort of chase your, 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 your comfort zones. He says, yo, go. Wait, the fearful one? Go. The frustrated one who was just sarcastic with you? Go. The frail one who's the least in his family? Go. Matthew 28, we call it the Great Commission. Go. Therefore, make disciples, make a difference. We need a renewed sense of these things. None of this is new, unless you've never heard it before. We need a sense of it. We need it burning within us to deal with fresh new fears, fresh new frustrations, fresh new... Uh, awarenesses of inadequacy. We need it. A sense of, I'm, I, was, I, I, I thought he wanted me to do this, but I've lost that sense of, a renewed sense of it. Yesterday I was talking with a brother and we were admitting, it's hard to look out there at people that you're trying to not be like and call them your people. These are my people on drugs. These are my people that I live among. These are my people that are having babies out of wedlock. It's easy to say my people are the cleaned up ones from the church. It's hard to, any people, whatever it is, take your pick. If you have no people, then this message is for you. Because that's what God does. Gideon is a first-hand experiencer of the thing that God's calling him to do something about. Where's the deeds that we? Where what our fathers told us? How is God with us? Go, Gideon. A renewed sense of commission. I think that's what we need in this church. Just in case the fire to go has turned into a Low simmer. Not only a renewed sense of that, but a renewed sense of God's commitment. So, y'all, this is it. This is my last point. A new sense of God's commitment. Let's read. And the Lord said to him, in spite of the fact that he said, I'm the least, says, but I will be with you. And you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, if I now have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart here from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah flour. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. I believe we need a renewed sense of God's commitment. Remember, this is the mission's possible. If you're depressed by all the stuff I'm talking about, this is the part here that God wants to help boost you, his commitment to you. First of all, he says, go, am I not sending you? You're going to succeed. There is a promise. God is committed to our success in this mission. Once again, we didn't ask to be involved. He came and got us. That's if you have that sense that he came and got you. If you don't, I understand why you're not moving. But this is for anybody that God opens your heart to understand he's always on mission. Jesus is our supreme model. Left the perfect environment and came down to where it's horrible. That's the blueprint. So if God arouses you with the example of Jesus, then the next thing you say is the call. You sense. Jesus said this at 12. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? He had a sense of an internal obligation that some people can't relate to. But why are you doing it? I just got to. I can't explain why I feel compelled. And when I'm doing something 
that's the antithesis, I know I'm tripping. People who don't have that sense don't make moves radically. They don't choose the, the, the foolish approach. They don't say, I'm going to go to where it's less safe. I'm going to go where there's less running water. I'm going to go where there isn't as much. I, like They don't say that, but people who call do. Not because they they just love pain. I just love poverty and pain. So, nah, I feel called to be God's means. And this is not individualistic. This is you identifying others who are living the same way. And you say, come on, y'all, let's. We know several people have bought houses or who are renting houses in neighborhoods that I'm sure they didn't prefer. Some of them come from Maryland where it's plush and everything is green. Some of them come from Delaware where the taxes are straight and the houses are bigger. Some of them, and then they came and they said, well, all five of us, let's live on this block where drugs is and, and where people are poor. And Like, who does that? You don't plan to get an education so you can live beneath your means. Called people do. Because their model is the Jesus who said, I own it all, but I'll give it up. This is Christianity 101. This is basic. We need a renewed sense of this pattern. God says, and let this rock you, my commitment. First of all, I guarantee victory. I never put you in the game to win it. I call conduits of victory, not causes of victory. You know, when they play the people who really can't play as well, they always put them in when the game is already won. They, they take all the stars out. Oh, come on now. I want you to twist your ankle. Oh, you come out and let him twist his ankle. Go, go on. You're in, Roger. Oh, great. And Roger get in for the first time. Haven't been in all season, but even he gets to play now. You know why? Because the game's, like, victory is already won. We're just running out clock. So Roger's in there missing layups and throwing bricks because he ain't shot in a minute. But they're like, oh, that's all right, Roger. Oh, you, at least you up close. That was close. Uh, I mean, so, because, but that's us. God says, wait, but the victory is won. I'm not putting you in like to try to change your neighborhood like it, it rests on you. Anytime I put you in is because I've already decided it's going to be changed. And I'm just letting you get in on the action. But this is supposed to fuel us. Says his commitment. Now, his commitment is seen in just basic divine kindness. Basic divine kindness. First of all, this is God here. The angel of the Lord is a pre-incarnate Christ. They're talking. First of all, he comes and he sits down with them. Second of all, when he says, wait here, if I found favor, in other words, it, just be nice to me real quick. Stay here. Let me go and bring you a gift. He says, I'll wait till you come back. Now, he didn't go and put a hot pocket in the microwave. He's making a goat. Unleavened bread, broth. I mean, he went, he went and did it up. And then he, like, but he waits there for him. Now, don't just like, don't miss who is God that he would just be kind enough to oblige you with a simple request like, just wait here for me. Let me go and work some stuff out and come back. Don't leave. You ever like know somebody is so important that you don't expect them to give you too much time? And you don't want to let a lapse in the convo give them their opportunity to say, well, all right, yo. So you just keep it going. You, yeah, man. So I was just telling you. So when did you start? Oh, yeah, that's what I was saying, man. Because before you go, I just want to say you just keep it going. Because, you know, the moment there's a lapse in the convo, they're out. So all right, man, it was nice to... But the person who says, I'll wait for you. You want me to wait here till you come back? Like, don't make, like. But it's in the text. Like, like the, the reason why it's in the Bible as part of a narrative is to show you aspects of God that you need to bank on. All this was because this is what Gideon was going to need because Gideon clearly was a man in weak in faith. We're going to see it. We're going to see all through the book. His, he grew in faith, but he was weak in faith. Some of us don't relate to God like he's kind. We don't relate to God like he will work with us in our weaknesses. 
He'll deal with us. You know I'm afraid of the city God. So, but God said, I'll work with you. I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of, I don't want to, I'm used to. God said, I'll work with you. Says, my commitment, have a renewed sense of God's commitment to you. Just take note of his kindness. Says here, verse 20. And the angel of the Lord said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on his rock, on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Not only is his commitment seen in acts of kindness, but in acts of power. Acts of power. What is this that he says, let me blow his mind real quick. Has God blown your mind with his ability, with his competence, with his power? God is like, I'm God. I'm calling you to rely on me, the one who can take broth and make it go up in flames. Acts of power. The Bible says that God makes sure that his treasure is tucked inside people who clearly can't so that the power will be seen clearly as coming from him and not you. God said, but if you don't believe I'm powerful, not just in theory, but in the way you lean on him. Faith demands that you lean on God. Kindness, power. What about intimacy? What about his commitment to us and his commitment to provide intimacy? Look what it says here. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. See, he didn't know up until that time that this was the Lord. After this demonstration of power and this demonstration of mercy, he realizes, I'm messing with God here. But look what he says here. Oh, Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it Yahweh Shalom, or the Lord is peace. To this day it stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abbey Ezrites. I have seen the Lord face to face. Anytime you talk about seeing God face to face, you're talking about a God who's allowed you a front row seat into his presence. God says, I want that to fuel you on mission. I want that to be one of the things that gets you through tough mission. The fact that I'm kind and you can bank on it. The fact that I'm powerful and you can lean on it. The fact that I'm intimate. The fact that I'm intimate. Face to face. Close. I won't be a God, you got to say, hey, I'll be up in your grill. The church, by definition, is God's missional agent. Called to participate in God's determination to heal what is broke. Everywhere God goes, it's where it's broke. When Jesus was killing it and his disciples wanted to park, he said, come on, let's go to the other side. I'm here to preach. When they went to the Mount of Transfiguration, the Bible says Peter was like, let's build booths. The Bible says that he ruined it, like, like Peter ruined it. Uh, God put down the Lord, took Moses and Elijah away and said, this is my son, listen to him. And then they went down the mountain and met a demon-possessed man. Back, back to what the mission is about. 
The Lord Jesus said, don't worry, when I go, I'm going to send you a comforter. Someone who will be the means by which intimacy is experienced with me because nobody can do mission without being intimate with me. You all had the physical me. Everybody else who comes after you will need the paraclete like me, the Holy Spirit, because intimacy is a must if you're on mission. And so, as Epiphany Fellowship has a building, as Epiphany Fellowship is approaching two years, as Epiphany Fellowship has first-time visitors every week, almost rivals our own people in the room. The question on the floor is, what is church for you? Is it a place or is it a people you've gathered with, covenanted with, and that you're sent with? Where's God going to send us <laughs> on a mission? That mission may look like chapter 2, 6 to 10 of Judges. That mission may look like chapter 6, 1 through 10 in Judges. Something with spiritual decline that manifests itself in social decline. It may be something you wouldn't choose on yourself. All of a sudden, though, divine calling. God lets you know, I invite you in on what I'm doing. Initiation. Interruption. Yeah, things may have been fine before God a hold of you, but he's calling you into a deeper level of commitment based on his own commitment. Based on divine intention. He's calling you not only to do something, but to be something you're not. Gideon was not a man, a mighty man of valor right here. But through this process, God made him a mighty man of valor. He's not only that. He's, God says, yo, man, I'm commissioning you. Go. Go in this. He says, go in your strength. Am I not sending you? That's our strength. The fact that the missionary God sends us and be fueled by my commitment to you. My commitment can be seen in the fact I'm kind kind enough to work with you in your weakness, kind enough to oblige you in your requests, answer your prayers, I'm kind, I'm powerful. Whatever I send you to do, I'm the power source that can pull it off. I'm intimate. The way you're going to do it is you're going to stay with me face to face. We know through Jesus Christ, that's through the, the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're not saved, God is not recruiting you on his team. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, God is not intimate with you. If you're separated from God, God's power is not for you. But the mission of God is to proclaim that Jesus Christ was sent to take people who were not in him and to place them in him. And as a church, we proclaim him every week because we are his people. That's our message. You know, that simple message is what changes chapter 2, 6 to 10. That's what takes spiritual death and makes it spiritual life. That's what takes social decline and one day makes societies look new. So today, bow your heads, close your eyes.